Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field in the classroom each week. Episodes of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com, so head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me is Dan and Holly, back for another episode, second time in a month. I Woo! know. You guys say hello. We're on a roll. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. So uh, today's episode is going to be interesting. In a lot of different ways, primarily because it's those calls that you go on that we're going to do a couple of case reviews of where things don't go like per protocol or they're maybe on the bubble of what you should or shouldn't do. And I think it's safe to say we're not going to like answer everybody's questions that they're going to potentially have for their on the bubble call. But we have some good examples of uh, some stuff that could potentially help people out in the field, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because not everything is black and white. No. And the patients don't read the protocols. They don't. They really it's, should. It would be helpful if they It would be did. really nice <laughs> if they did. It would be really nice. Um, so this first one we're going to do, we're going to do a case review, but I'm going to keep all the information to myself. And we, you guys are going to get the information as you ask for it. And then we'll chit-chat about it at the end. But I've got a fair amount of information um, written down on this one. So... We should be good to go with whatever questions you throw at me. All right. And we'll see what you guys come up with because I'm interested to see what you guys determine it to be and then what you guys do with that information or don't do. Okay. All right. All right. Let's do this. Okay. So we are at a, let me give you some background on the crew you have going with you. Okay. You're at a uh, fire station with a crew of five, two person medic, three person engine. And both of those rigs are sent to a local clinic where uh, a doctor has requested transport for a cardiac chest pain call. Okay. That's what you're dispatched to. Okay. So you have two medics and three basics? You have five medics oh, oh, wow. on this particular oh, There's call. the first problem the right Problem number uh, one. Problem number one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So you're en route to a chest pain call mm-hmm. at a clinic just a regular doctor's clinic think of it like a urgent care type clinic or immediate care whatever you want to call it all right okay what do you want to know so dispatch info yeah so dispatch info is uh md requested transport okay possible mi okay how old uh we'll say she was 65 okay 65 year old female Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right and code one code three code three and that's Pretty much all that's relevant on there. You know, there's a bunch of information. Right. Coronavirus has been ruled out right. as best as they can yep. tell. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So. And how far are you away from the correct place you need to go? So the clinic is about three miles from your station. Okay. And then to the cardiac center. Or to uh, and then to your, you're going to be transporting to a uh, regional trauma center. And you have about a six mile trip. Yeah. So any uh, uh, prior history with this clinic that's already set your, your unconscious bias off? Absolutely. Yeah. They call a lot. Okay. Um, I think that's fair to say. Um, it's a big mix of healthcare providers there. Sometimes you have only a PA. Sometimes you have a nurse practitioner. Sometimes you have a couple of doctors that are working there. Okay. Um, it's really... So it's a mixed bag. It's you don't know who you're going to get. Okay. Yep. yep. And then... Maybe one or two nurses um, for about 10 rooms okay. and a dozen or so CNAs. Okay. 
half dozen, excuse me. She was right. going to say, that's good staffing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two, two admins up front kind of a thing. Okay. All right. People cool. In. So you got lots, lots of help if you need it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you go in and what do you see? Yeah. So um, we uh, go to the, basically the this back entrance where they want to, uh, want us to come in through so we're not walking past all the people oh, in right, the front right right and uh wheel in um have the gurney and have all our gear on there okay and doctor gives us uh patient info and says yeah calling this a STEMI and want you guys to take her up code three okay how's the patient look just looking at her she looks i would say uh Curious as to why all the hubbub. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, she is a little anxious, you could tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say she's probably 5'8 and maybe 200 pounds. Okay. Um, and she look pale or sweaty? Or she doesn't normal. look pale or sweaty. No. no. Okay. Um, but definitely a little anxious. I'll say I'll give her that. So what have they done so far? Uh, they've got uh, a 20-gauge. In her left AC for you. Okay. Uh, they've given four baby aspirin. Okay. They've given one nitro. Okay. With some relief. Went from a six to a three on the pain scale. And uh, they've done a 12 lead. Okay. And so 12 lead says. Yeah. And I'm going to show you um, a edited version of, of this 12 lead. Okay. So at this point. You're going to transport her no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right. You've initiated the regular chest pain protocols. I'm sure you have allergies and past medical history and all of that. Does it match up? Yeah. So which which of those would you like first? Past medical history. Past medical history. So she has uh, high cholesterol. She has uh, high blood pressure. And she has a uh, noted allergy to penicillin. Any drug use? Yes, but she has been clean for about 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. All right. So nothing really. Uh, And she is a smoker. That was the other part of her history. Yep. Um, Um, And then what is her chest pain like? She describes it as dull and just feeling general malaise. Is kind of the. For how long? She thinks it started. So, by the way, it's about, I didn't say this in the beginning. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon. When okay. you're going there. Okay. Um, the patient reports that it, she thinks it originally started at 10 o'clock the night before. However, 10 a.m. today, so four hours before your arrival, she's sitting at home and she feels like, man, this is getting, something's happening. It's, I think it's getting a lot worse. And she drove herself in. Okay. Okay. So we have a 60-year-old woman, general malaise and chest pain. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it. Nitro took her pain down from a... Six to a three. Six to a three. Mm-hmm. She's had her aspirin. I mean... They did two 12 leads, and I'm showing you guys, which the people listening to this can't see, but um, I have a redacted 12 lead. Um, so take a look at that, mm-hmm. and maybe walk me through, or walk our listeners through, what you guys are looking at when you see a 12 lead in general. What's your process, and... Anything on this one that sticks out to you? So I always start with 2-3 AVF. Okay. So I'm looking for the inferior. So okay. that's just 
where I start. You know, obviously we have the rate and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So I start 2-3 AVF. And from here, I can't see real well. So you're running a regular, irregular. For the record, for our listeners, this is a 34-inch screen that I'm blowing it up for Dan on. (laughs) He's about six feet away, and he still can't see it. Okay, hang on. Let me see if I can get it just a smidge Mm. more in. All right. It's about as good as I can get. Okay. All right, so 2-3 AVF. So since the... why don't the we talk about the underlying rhythm that um, we're seeing? They can't see this, right? Right. So we want to know, is it regular or irregular? Correct. And it looks irregular to me. Yes. Are there P waves? Well, where would we look? I'm looking at two. Looks like there's P waves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where do we look to determine if there's... Right before the QRS. P waves. That's you're getting at. Right, but which leads? Oh, I would look at lead two. Mm-hmm. Lead two, and then V leads, V1, V2 good look at whether or not we're going to have P waves. Okay. And I then, see P waves. Yeah. Yep. P waves are there. Okay. Do they correlate with the QRS? Appears. That they do. That they do. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have a sinus rhythm because there's P waves. Okay. They correlate with the QRS yep. and it's irregular. Correct. So we have a sinus arrhythmia so far. Correct. Uh, what's the rate? The rate is anywhere from 80 to 100. Okay. Which is pretty normal. And it just keeps fluctuating like that? Mm-hmm. Okay. What this thing isn't showing you, because it's just a snapshot, right? There's no... We're sh- I'm showing them a true 12 lead without a you know, a lead two view that's 10 uh, seconds long at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But uh, she had couplet PVCs. Mm-hmm. I can see the PVCs. Uh-huh. So uh, regular heartbeat rhythm, mm-hmm. two PVCs, regular complex two PVCs. Got it. And we could feel uh, the PVCs perfusing okay. on her radial. And blood pressure was fine. Yeah, blood pressure is like 130 over 70. Okay. No shortness of breath? Uh, she doesn't think so, but she answers that question a little weirdly, like, um, no, not really. And we're like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to get a little bit better description of it. And she's like, well, I felt a little winded when I would get up to do things. I was okay. like, oh, okay. So shortness so, of breath on exertion. But if she's sitting down, not moving, she doesn't feel anything. Okay. okay. But yes, on exertion. Uh, can she sleep lying down? Um, yeah, she was able to sleep last night. Okay. okay. Long sounds? Long sounds are normal. All right. No edema? Nope. Satting fine? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. All right. So currently we've got chest pain with normal vitals. Mm-hmm. There is some elevation... And V3, it looks like, uh-huh. from my perspective. But I don't see elevation. Is there a little bit in V2? Yeah. So we have a baseline. Here's our baseline here. Mm-hmm. We've got a 2 millimeter ST elevation, just shy of 2 millimeters in uh-huh. V3. In V4, we've got just over 1 right here. Mm-hmm. And then in V2, we have maybe a millimeter. Maybe. So but technically, you need two concurrent leads correct. from two yep. millimeters or more. Right. So yeah. for our listeners, we would be looking, if we have ST elevation in V3, our concurrent lead would be V4, right, to make sure that we're, if we're looking at an anterior thing. And I don't see any um, depression on any of the leads, so there's no reciprocal depression. Mm-hmm. 
we do have, uh, where was it? Right here, we have some flip tees. Over there on a B3. Uh-huh. And I honestly don't know what to call. I think that's a PVC and V6. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then we have the couplet PVCs. So. So I wouldn't call it a STEMI. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a cardiologist either. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a STEMI, but she's certainly got chest pain that needs to be ruled out. Yeah. So. So. Either way, it's the same treatment cur- currently. Right. Did labs come in? Good question. Labs did not come in. This place did not have the ability to draw those labs. Sometimes um, other places will send us with, mm-hmm. you know, a baggie of goodies right. to send to the lab for them. Right. So a question for you guys. If the troponin was positive, yes. obviously that's a cardiac event. Yes. If you had the same lady with a negative troponin, would it change your course of treatment? Not mine. Not mine. Me neither. Because I'm not going to be ruling out all the other things that can right. be going on. Right. right. And she's symptomatic. Mm-hmm. And yep. so that's one thing to remember is like you get, you get all of this information and right. it, they can be zebras out there, but the baseline thing we're treating is chest pain. Right. Right. Her complaint. And a 60 year old female with high blood pressure and high cholesterol and yep. lots of comorbidities. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, our crew takes this and they're kind of seeing the same thing. They're like, I don't know if I can call this a STEMI. Mm-hmm. And we had some newer medics on the crew, and I'm noticing they're really zeroing in on whether or not they need to call this a STEMI. They're overly focused on that fact, so much so that we're no longer thinking, what do I need to do for this patient? It's, what do I need to do before I get to the hospital? Right. And that was my, uh-oh, as a lieutenant, I'm thinking, hang on, guys, we need to read, 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 you know, readdress yeah. some stuff here. And um, so before I get too far down that, um, we had a chit-chat. They were wanting to take a, another 12 lead before we left, which I thought was appropriate. I'm keeping an eye on our time. We have a 10-minute you know, scene time for yeah. these kind of calls. And we're right at about 10 minutes, have a discussion. Yep, we're going to go up code three, which was the right decision. Absolutely. And we had one medic who was not wanting to do the STEMI trip and not wanting to really make a big deal out of this. He thought it was is, is there not a big deal. anything negative about going to the hospital when it's a false positive? I mean, does your hospital come down on you guys at all? Um, I mean, you know, I will say in the COVID era, we deal with a lot of travel nurses. And sometimes you get a travel nurse that's just not used to working with medics very closely or, you know, a variety of backgrounds. Right. I'll just leave it at that. And sometimes you get some attitudes, but at the same time, who cares? Who cares, exactly. I mean, it's all right. about the patient, not right. the receiving hospital. I have to say, being on both sides of the equation, as a paramedic, I always felt really like this internal pressure to be perfect yeah. uh-huh. and to never mess up. Yeah, don't yep. make a mistake. Um, but being on the other side of it, as a nurse that's receiving the patient in the ER, if, if they call a STEMI, especially if it's from a clinic, like... MD is activating the STEMI, you know, um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. All it does is just alert people that they're going to need the 12 lead machine here in a second. Right. I mean, if it's a code or something, and I know that there's a certain protocol we have to follow, certain things have to be done within a certain amount of time if it's a STEMI, but if you're wrong, it's okay. Yeah. 
And, and that's, I think, the big take-home message for And this nobody call. is going to talk about you when you leave. Right. Like, oh, Steve and Dan, there's uh, not enough for yeah. Demi, and it wasn't yeah. a STEMI. Um, because a lot of times, it's the same thing. Like, I've had a STEMI before that wasn't a STEMI yet, mm-hmm. but I knew it was going to be there in a minute. And, you know, so it's okay. It, yeah. You don't have to be perfect. And so our protocols state two or more millimeters of ST elevation yeah. uh, in two contiguous leads. And so this gal is working her way into two millimeters yeah. in these two leads. Yeah. And uh, so I agreed with this younger medic that this wasn't a like true cut and dry STEMI. This was a bubble mm-hmm. call. You know, um, it was a gray area, so to speak, which is a great name for the episode, 50 Shades of Gray. Yeah. But um, the, the problem I had was being overly focused on what to call it and not overly focused on patient care. And that's where I felt the big mistake was made. And so um, we transported her her up code three, got there. There's a whole cardiology team waiting for Mm -hmm. her. And when we, you know, we dropped her off and gave the pass down and everything and uh, got out of there. But we debriefed this one um, in the ambulance bay. And I had, Wanted to talk about it because I saw a couple things that wanted to be addressed. And I said, hey, uh, why do you think we did what we did? And he was a little frustrated. He didn't want to talk about it a whole lot. You could tell he was <laughs> Which, irked. I'm sorry, what did you end up doing? Did you end up calling the STEMI? We called yeah. the STEMI okay. and went up code three, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he was not happy with that. No, didn't okay. want to do it. Um, and I said, can you, can you see that if an MD calls us, it's our job to fulfill that order uh-huh. mm-hmm. the way that they want it done. Yep. Um, it's not our job to sit and try to prove them right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we can always relay our findings to the receiving hospital, and if they want to change things up, cool, no yep. harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. But we shouldn't be taking an extended amount of time on scene to prove whether or not right. they're correct or incorrect. And... I said, this one is a bubble case. It's not cut and dry. We don't have the tombstone ST elevation on this one. It's just a little bit, but it's significant given the way she's presenting. And uh, I said, one thing that you need to remember is not only is the doc going to call for us for a a code three transport, he's also going to give a HEAR report to the receiving facility and tell them everything that he's done. So... Uh, we had a good chat, and I, I think good lessons were learned. Um, we have a lot of new medics right yeah. now, and we're going to have a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've got a significant academy coming through right now that um, we, we still have people in school. I mean, so <laughs> we're going to be their first and only experience <laughs> right. as an ALS provider in the field. And so, um, but it's it, it's an interesting time. It's a good challenge to have, and I mean, it's exciting in a lot of ways, too. It's not just all negative, but... Um, the follow-up with, with this one was, uh, so one of the cool things about um, our local um, setup with our hospital is we get feedback via our chart software on how the, what the patient outcomes were. So cardiology team looked at it, called it an N-STEMI. Mm-hmm. Troponin was 1.1. So we should probably talk about troponin just a smidge. Uh, a positive troponin is basically anything, right? However, anything over 0.4, I believe, is considered like a true cardiac, true, true cardiac MI event. Yes. 
you guys learned anything else about troponins that is yeah, worth sharing? Yeah, and it sharing? depends on like what your local lab, yeah, how they how they determine those. But yeah, a positive troponin, and it doesn't, you know, troponins are tricky because it doesn't always have to be that it's a cardiac event. Um, but in this case, her clinical presentation supported a cardiac event. Yeah, you know, and any and any cardiac chest pain that comes in is going to be under surveillance for about 24 hours, mm-hmm. whether or not it's a STEMI. Yeah. Um, so truly standing up the, the cath lab when they're just going to get stood down again is it's not that big of a deal. Right. Um, but yeah. yeah. And so it was a really good learning call because it didn't meet the criteria for a STEMI, but yet we knew at least a couple of us knew she was having a significant cardiac event. Mm-hmm. Not to mention a physician had requested yeah. to go three transports. So. I mean, that kind of makes it easy. Like, oh, right. the doctor yeah. wants it. Yeah, so. That's super okay. easy. Here we Check go. Check the box. Yep. Do you feel uh, working in a busier system, and I know this is true for me, that I sometimes I get to the point where the patient has to prove to me that I even have mm-hmm. to be there, yeah. let alone transport. And that's a horrible mindset to be in. It is. Um you know, if you could just reboot before every call and start fresh, like this one. I mean, it's even though you've got the, the readback, you've got the doctors, you still have to start over and do your assessment right. for your for your own. Yeah. I mean, may yeah. something they missed, you yep. know, but yeah, trying to prove them wrong. Right. Not, not the way to go. Yeah. And, and what is it inside a person that makes them want to prove? Like yeah. in this case, your, your uh, partner that was not happy about going code three and calling it a STEMI. Like, what is that in you mm-hmm. that is r- afraid to make a mistake? Right. And I think at no time was there a mistake made in this call at all. Mm-hmm. She got the best care she needed. Mm-hmm. She got everything by the book. You treat um, it for worst case scenario, which right. is best for the patient. Right. right. And so I've, but I've been there so many times. It's just a really interesting thing to think yeah. about is what is it inside you that's afraid of being wrong or looking stupid or like you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. And that's, I think the big lesson learned here, or, you know, I don't think it's going to be this one call teaches people the lesson, but we have to put aside our pride that says, I don't want to be wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we take this oath, you know, before our friends and family and our communities about what we're going to do and how we're going to protect people to the best of our ability. And we have to be okay overemphasizing, you know, giving them too much care versus under-treating them. Right. Um, And so we we replayed the call and, you know, talked about what would it look like for you if this was absolutely nothing at the end of the day, but you called it a STEMI? How would would you feel? And you could tell, and I've been there, you know, it would eat you alive that you made the wrong call. Right. Um, And I feel like, taking on interns and working with medics and, and stuff a lot. We, we see that it's very common. And I know that I think everybody goes through it for the most part. You just don't want to make a mistake and you don't want to request a resource that ends up not being needed. Right. Because you feel like you're wasting people's time. Right. And you don't want to be that guy right. or gal. And. But overall in this situation, her clinical course was trending down. Correct. Toward getting worse. And the only way to really remedy that is to treat her aggressively until, you know, because she might have, they're going to do serial troponins and they're going to do serial 12 leads. Mm -hmm. And five hours later, maybe she does develop a STEMI or, you know, I mean, she's definitely trending 
clinical course is getting more serious. Yeah. And there's nothing about that call that anyone should not feel good about. Right. Right. And I think because, and I don't, I don't know where this mindset comes from. You know, it's probably in school, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be the person who gets the scenario wrong in school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now in life, you don't want to be the person who yeah. gets the, the call wrong. Yeah. Let's um, be honest. We're all type A. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Control freaks. And we don't want to make an And error. I do think historically we're all, you know, when I was a paramedic too, I've always felt like I was defending my position mm-hmm. and my knowledge to people who were mm-hmm. always trying to yeah. maybe um, make it seem like I didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah. Because paramedics are very intelligent. They have a very specific skill set and they're really good at it. Mm-hmm. And getting the recognition and respect they deserve. I think that plays a little bit into sure. um, making the right call cry. every time. Yeah. And it can be that way on just like a regular call. Like you have the luxury of working with your own people Yeah. Uh, through a fire-based transport system. Right. I work with a private provider. So now not only am I trying to think what's, what's a hospital going to say, but what is this, this private ambulance person who I have no idea who it is going to say as well. Right. So let's say we go on a car wreck and we have four person engine company, two people on the, on the medic unit. It just takes one person to say, you know what? I'm kind of thinking the trauma system entry. I may not believe that. I may not see that, mm-hmm. but that person is seeing something that I may not be seeing. Yeah. And so you just go, okay, that's good. I fully support you. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. And that's one of those decisions that goes right along with this is should we make it a trauma alert or not? Because right. There's the mandatory entry criteria and then the paramedic distri- discretion mm-hmm. criteria. Mm-hmm. And I think I've said this before, but I worked on the trauma team at a level one trauma center and the paramedic discretion patients that came in were frequently more sick than yeah. the mandatory right. trauma entry criteria. Yep. And But making that decision, you know, you get there and there's like 42 people judging your decision on why mm-hmm. is this a trauma? Right. You know, why did you wake me up for this? Yeah. Um, that's a that's a really deep seated thing. Yeah. No, it, it it is a good a good reminder. Um, but I kind of like it. Yeah, I kind of like the fact that we all want to be perfect and yeah. Do the best no, we can. It, it's it's a good thing. At the end of the day, we just need to channel that in the right, you know mm-hmm. positive yeah. direction, and we need to be channeling it towards patient benefit, not personal benefit. Right. You know, but also you have to have you know. There's a fine line between. I'm going to be this cookbook medic and I'm going to be a critical care now or a critical thinking mm-hmm. medic. Right. Okay. Yep. So just because it looks this way in the protocols, still use your judgment, use your thoughts, use your critical thinking abilities. Mm-hmm. Totally. In general though, with, with these gray area calls, which to be honest, a lot of calls are gray area mm-hmm. calls. Um, we can get ourselves in the weeds if we bring attitude into the mix, right? Attitude and ego. Yep. And so um, we've got to be able to have at least one person on the crew who can step back and say, okay, what's best for the patient right now? Right. And, you know, we have an unwritten rule that if someone gets up in the middle of the night on a call and they're just in a bad mood, um, you know, other people can step in and be like, hey, <laughs> hey Mike, <laughs> we got this one. Wish we had that you know? rule. <laughs> I know, right? You know, and um, we got you. we've got to be able to, to drop the ego um, in those moments and, realize, yep, I'm making things worse Yeah. Um, by bringing this extra stuff into the call. Um, but the, the point I was going to make about gray area calls in, in general was is, is always erring on the side of 
patient care and giving them more treatment. Right. Yes. And so um, I feel like that's missed somehow um, mm-hmm. with a lot of people that are just starting out. Uh, and maybe even people that get burnt out, you know, they, they hit a wall and they're like, you know what? These are usually nothing. I'm just going to yeah go with whatever, you know? Yeah. What's um, best for me? What's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's going to require the least amount of effort and I really don't want to write in at three o'clock in the morning. I won't go back to bed. Yeah. But if I call a systemic and then I got to write in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember back in the day when we used to give an apsine? Do you guys still yeah. do that in the field? We don't still do it, but we um, did have it. But in order to give an apsine, you had to, for like a combative patient, yeah. you had to have them on the monitor yeah. and you had to have a set of vitals, which is yeah. ridiculous, right? Because mm-hmm. of the black box warning right. that was on an apsine. Um, so talking about gray areas, you have those medications you can use and sometimes you really need to use those before you can fulfill the full protocol version mm-hmm. of get the vitals first and get a, a 12 yeah. lead. Um, but we had a call and you were, that this just reminded me when you said that, um, these are always nothing, but we had a, an autoped on, on a big highway Yeah. <laughs> and it was a semi truck that hit a pedestrian. Mm. So of course I've got a intern and uh, my partner and we pull up and I was, of course, we're first on scene and an right. ambulance, which is the worst case scenario ever. Yeah. And um, like two o'clock in the morning. So we get out and of course it's raining and I'm like, this is going to be nothing because a pedestrian got hit by a semi truck on a highway. Yeah. So we get our stuff and we go around <laughs> and they're like off the side of the road a little bit. So I like lean under and peer under the semi truck and I can see the patient stuck between the doolies. Oh, oh man. Have I told you guys this story? <laughs> no. no. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And, and then he like looks over at me with these wide eyes. And it was the most terrifying thing. Because <laughs> I didn't expect him to be alive. Right. Jeez, and he's just like, help me. And I was like, shit. Well, now we have to actually now we do, gotta do something. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm in this scenario where... I can see a patient who can is looking at me yeah. wild-eyed and do I go underneath a semi-trailer that's halfway off the road, mm. not secured? Because now it's just me and my two partners, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a firefighter. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm also responsible for my intern, right? Yeah. And so anyway, long story short, we call for everybody and the heavy rescue comes and everything, but we wait. So I'm like, which is appropriate. Yes, it was absolutely appropriate. And so I'm watching this poor guy struggling with his life Mm -hmm. and I'm doing nothing, Mm -hmm. which is also terrifying um, until the heavy rescue gets there. So they come in and shore it up. And of course I'm the smallest person on scene. So guess who gets to crawl under (laughs) the semi trailer (laughs) to do patient care. And obviously the patient needs, to be intubated mm-hmm. and all of this. So anyway, I get under there and he is really combative. You know, I'm like, hello, sir, I'm going to help you, you know, just try to relax. And he's thrashing Follow, around right. and there's blood everywhere. And um, the truck was working on decompressing the tires to get him unstuck. But then they were worried that if they did that, now he's got right. a fresh injury, oh, right? My. So yeah. now we're... Having to think about give, giving uh, bicarb and mm-hmm. fluids. And so I'm trying to start an IV and he's flailing around. And so finally I just said, give me the anapsine. And then there was a discussion on, well, you need to get uh-huh. an EKG. 
And I'm like, <laughs> of course there was. <laughs> and this is before the first sad days. This is before uh-huh. yeah. uh, good sedation. This mm-hmm. was the only sedation we had. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Give me the freaking anapsine. And so we gave the anapsine and then I'm under there by myself, RSI in this guy. Um, and it worked, but then, you know, backing up, now we have several protocol violations, right? Mm-hmm. And we've given the bicar, but we didn't call first because we can't get someone on the phone and they need to extricate. Yeah. And so we're making all these decisions in this big gray area that we have yep. um, because this is our job, mm-hmm. right? We can't, the patients, like we said earlier, they don't follow the protocols. Right. Um, and he was out of his mind, mm-hmm. not listening. Mm-hmm. And so. And so you did what was appropriate. For the patient. Yes. In now, my mind, in my gray area. Right. Yes. Um, because also, you know, I'm, I'm the only one that can fit in this space. So I don't have a lot of support, just people handing me things. Mm-hmm. And which means I'm the one making all the decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, of course we have a group consensus, but you know, they're going so it's all judgment. on me basically. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think they're all happy about that. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, long story short, get him extricated and he flies to the hospital uh, we landed life flight in the uh, middle of the highway, which was always fun. And then there's like 17 incident reports to write <laughs> and doctors to talk to. But in the end, I didn't get really in trouble. I just got a couple of talking tos. Yeah. But in the end, I feel like we did the right thing. Right. And right. the right moment in time because it was a dangerous situation for me, which I didn't realize going in there mm-hmm. that he was going to freak out. Um, but you waited until... It was stabilized. Right. So that's appropriate. That was appropriate. But then the patient was, once I got into the small space with him, he was very combative. And um, the only way we could have done what we did was to sedate him. Sedate him, exactly. So Um, I have a a battalion chief that I've worked with, and he tells us regularly that our job operates in the gray, like mm -hmm. regularly tells us this. And he reminds us that know your protocols well enough to know when you're deviating from them. Yeah. And he says, you know, I will always support you if you knowingly go against protocol mm-hmm. because it's in the patient's best interest. Right. Yeah. And you can justify what you're doing. And he said, now, that doesn't mean you're not going to get, you know, some other chief officer mm-hmm. that's going to write you up for it because they decided to for whatever reason. But he said... Um, you will always have my support and I will, I will always back you up when that's those awesome. meetings are happening. That is real good. And so that's a huge, you know, weight what off your shoulders. What that does too is it allows you to be a critical thinking paramedic. Right. Yep. Right. We had a not so great medical director um, that was not like that at all. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I was going to answer to that, but I was okay with it because yeah. I knew that I was working within the right parameters. Mm-hmm. But How'd the patient do? The patient died. Um, we found out he had just gotten released from prison mm. and was probably jumped in front of this truck. That's what it sounds like, um, yeah. But he, he lived long enough for his family to come and say goodbye. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. You know, another area that uh, will get people in trouble is refusals. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a lot of, I mean, a lot of examples of those. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of different scenarios. And I don't think... With, with, with little exception, our refusal is the same. Like, there's always a unique story going on. And uh, where I work, we have a, uh, you know, we're a college town. So we have a lot of 
alcohol evals, mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, police officers and public safety who want EMS to rule out or to medically clear mm-hmm. uh, patients so that they can take them to prison or, you know, site release them or whatever. Um, so we have medics who will routinely get in trouble because they're, uh, you know, that person's not, you know, that intoxicated or they've seen, this is the sixth or seventh intoxicated person they've seen tonight and they're in a bad frame of mind mm-hmm. going into the next one, right? Yeah. And so, Dan, you made a good point about kind of needing to have that reset between each call, which is a luxury. Mm-hmm. It's not always something we can do or we're good at, but that can really help us walk into the call with a fresh slate instead of, you know, letting the five yes. drunks before dictate what you do. It's hard not to get that way. It is. It really, really is. I was reading some um, articles on refusals and, one of them really stuck out to me. It's like normally when we review, write a refusal, it's like patient ANO times four, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And you write on their form, you know, you could die, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then they sign it. Yeah. Um, and when you go back to chart, it's like the super, it's the easiest chart ever. Right. Um, but it shouldn't be the easiest chart ever. It should be, you know, patients alert and oriented times four, but it could be like the patient stated it was June 7th. Mm-hmm. Um, the patient stated they were at home, yeah. you know, and it just kind of like writing what they tell you to prove that they were when you're in court, yeah, that they were alert and oriented, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how you knew that, you know, just four huh. sentences, yeah. you know, the patient stated it was, you know, whatever they refused, you know, and have them read it, say it back to you. Yeah. If you don't go, you could throw up and die and aspirate on it. Okay, patient repeated yeah. back. You know, just it was just really interesting because I've always just kind of yeah, me too. Wrote the crappiest yeah, refusal. <laughs> and all times four. What does that actually mean? Right. I've got a colleague who will write. The, the, he'll 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 tell you the longest charts he writes are refusals, yeah. and they're like a true twelve point font, single space page. Wow, <laughs> they're incredibly long, and he does that because. You know, he doesn't want to get burned, and I'm sure he has either done it himself at one point or knows someone who did and doesn't want to be in that that same camp. So, If you've never had your chart blown up six it's feet it, tall, yeah. then you're... It's something else. It's terrifying. Yeah. I was on a bad trend where I was getting one a year that I had to go <laughs> into, into court for, and luckily that trend... Oh, man, let me knock on wood. The trend has stopped. Um but it's it's embarrassing. Like, not embarrassing in a, like, you don't know what you're doing way. It's, an, it's embarrassing the way they ask questions. They're so um, pointed, and it's like they're trying to trip you up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they want to get you kind of off your game. They don't want you mm-hmm. sounding confident in your answers. Mm-hmm. And Trying to bully your credibility. Yeah. Absolutely. The first question I got asked, the last one that I was in court for was, uh, explain to us why you're a competent medic. (laughs) And I was like, oh man. Um, Did you throw out your five stars? I was going to ask. I mean, I (laughs) leaned a little bit to the right so he could see him, you know? You're just doing a Vanna White. Yeah. yeah. I was like, need I say more? Um, But no, I looked at the judge and I was like, you know, I don't know how to answer that question. It's, and 
So the judge made him ask it more specifically. And then he kicked into, okay, how long have you been working at this department? How long have you been certified? How long have you, you know? And, but he wanted me to start out with basically tell me in your own words why you think you're competent. Right. It's like, <laughs> you're just trying to get me to paint myself in a corner, dude. Right, like, exactly. You're not here to do anything but get this person money, you know? <laughs> Civil suits are way worse, in my opinion, than the uh, criminal lawsuit ones. Because mm-hmm. someone's going after someone for money. It's usually after right. the criminal lawsuit has happened, right? Right. And now they're going at it for money, and it gets ugly in there. I don't like it at all. Couldn't do that job. No. But, well, I think we've come to the end of our episode on gray areas. There is no cut and dry answer for gray areas. It's no. And I like your, um, what, what your, was it your lieutenant? Or a battalion chief. Your battalion chief yeah. says yeah. that we operate in a gray area. Yeah. Yeah. And if when you operate in a gray area, you need to know what your boundaries are. Mm-hmm. So when you go outside of your protocols into that gray area, mm-hmm. know why and how to defend yourself. Yeah. I mean, always follow your protocols. We tell people that all the time. If you get stuck, call a doc. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. online medical control yeah. for a reason. You operate under their license yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in written form. So just call them and make sure you know what their expectations are. And then always do what's in the best interest of the patient. You can't go wrong there. You can't go wrong there. No. Now, we obviously can't paint what's going to happen on the next gray area call, but if you stick to those three general rules, you're mm-hmm. probably going to be pretty okay. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Well, let's leave it there. And uh, we got some exciting episodes coming up, but um, excited to get back on these regularly with you guys. Yeah, we'll leave it there.